hallelujah, since that's our starting thing. You did pretty good on that. We're looking at this new series, 146 to 150, uh, the Hallelujah Psalms called to praise. And we're doing an overview last week and this week of the entire book of Psalms. Now, I've never done that. I've never taught through this. So uh, organizing it, and it's quite daunting. It's the biggest book in the Bible, 150 chapters, but we're going to go through it. So I'm asking you to uh, pay attention, be alert. This is a very much uh, a, a teaching, a content type overview. And so, you know, you're going to say, well, you know, how does this relate to, you know, my sore toe today? Well, it may not directly, but hopefully it will give you a, a broader mindset like it has me for the Psalms. And that can have tremendous impact on physical ailments, spiritual ailments, relational stress, all of this. So let's look, review a little bit from last week. The book of Psalms, we said last week, is the spirit-inspired playlist for living as God's covenant people under Christ the King. We have the Spirit, the Father, the Son, and it's a song of playlists, okay? What's the big idea of the Psalms? We put it this way. The big idea is a playlist of Spirit-filled praises, prayers, promises, and those promises are often prophecies to be sung in every season of life, as we daily worship our triune God. But what's the result of that? We should be living wisely and waiting patiently until his son, the king, comes with his kingdom. Songs to be sung in every season of life. We said last week the structure. And so look in your notes just to give you the, the big idea. <clears throat> the structure is... The introduction to Psalm 1 and 2, and that's really what we looked at last week, introduced three main themes that I just simplified down to wisdom, waiting, and worship. Psalm 1, live wisely according to Yahweh's Torah, to the Word of God. Psalm 2, wait patiently for the coming King. And included in that is you don't wait for the King unless you've surrendered to the king. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. That's Psalm 2. And then tying that together is our daily worship before Yahweh. And so go back last week. You can listen to that. And then the organization. That's where we're going to look today. Psalm 3 through 145 provide the playlist of God's covenant people in five books. So when I mention books, I'm going to be mentioning the five books that are in the one book of Psalms. And then that all leads to the conclusion, the mighty hallelujah conclusion of Psalm 146 to 150, which is where we will go after Labor Day and we'll go through these five Psalms. But I think you're going to better appreciate having this big picture. Now, even though the Psalms, go to that chart uh, uh, I have at your table, and you're going to want this. I mean, this is basically what we're moving through for this lesson. So this is kind of your overview of the book of Psalms in these five books. And praise doesn't just come at the end. The reason we know there are five books is at the end of each book, 41, 13, 72, 18 through 19, 89, 52, 106, 48, is a some form Of this phrase, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. It's it's tweaked, it's added to, but you can find, and so that's how we know. We're not making this up. God's Holy Spirit has put this book together to where there's a break where you say, blessed be the God of Israel. You study these, and then you go, blessed be the Lord. You study these, and you go, blessed be the Lord. You study these, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. And then you come to the end, and it's not just blessed be the Lord. It's hallelujah. Praise the Lord in five beautiful hallelujah psalms. So that's what we are going to be looking at. Now, 
if you look at the bottom part of this chart, you see, and it just takes too much time to put those on PowerPoint, you can see that it's not simply about praising the Lord. What ties these psalms together is the life and the promises to King David. So if you want to see book one and two are really tied together, they belong to de- together, and you're going to see why, because Psalm 1 opens up, Psalm 1 and 2 is your introduction, but these are Davidic psalms, and they end in Psalm 72 with a psalm by Solomon. So it's David, Solomon, foundation. Then you go into book 3, and everything uh, goes to, uh, pardon me, hell in a handbasket, okay? It all, I mean, the, the kingdom is destroyed. And we find in these, in book 3, the lowest part and the saddest part of the Psalms because the Davidic kings have failed and the Davidic kingdom has gone into exile, into Babylon. But then you come to books 4 and 5 and they're tied together just like books one and two are tied together, and they have increasing praise for the future fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom by none other than God himself, who is our eternal king. Where humans have failed, God prevails. Can I get an amen on that? Right? And that's what is the story. So I just want to give you that. And the glue that ties this book together is not only the, the promise, the Davidic covenant, the promises to David that God would establish his seed on an etern- eternal throne, but what ties it together are the two themes of wisdom and of submission to the king, the Lord's king, the Lord's son. And so all of this is tied together, but let's dive in. Now, we're going to spend most of our time on books one and two because they lay the foundation. And then we'll move quicker through the last ones. So let's look at book one. Book one is Psalms 1 through 41, and I would summarize it this way. It's the pattern of the historical David. The pattern of the historical David suffering and Delivered. I really should have put that on there. Suffering and delivered. It's the pattern of the historical David. Now, in there, there's 41 songs, and with 84% of them written by David. So, right off the bat, the Psalms are heavily loaded with Davidic Psalms, Psalms by David. In fact, uh, there, there are more Psalms by David in Book 1 than any of the other books. So that's telling us David is the key to this. Also, when you subtract, it's 41 songs, but if you subtract the two introductory, you have 39. In book 5, if you subtract the five concluding, you have 39 books too. So the book 1, book 5, they, they're kind of the bookends that hold this together. And that's where most of the Psalms lie. Now, what's the focus? The focus is this, David's life and loyal love for the Lord as his servant king, his servant king. And when I say servant king, what am I emphasizing? He suffers humiliation. He goes as low as you can go. And then he is rewarded with sovereign exaltation. That's the pattern of David's life. He starts out as the servant of King Saul And he is persecuted. He is uh, ran into the wilderness. He flees for his life. He's hiding in caves. In fact, at least, I think, one, definitely one, maybe two of the Psalms, he writes in a cave. And then he's exalted as the greatest king in Israel's history. Now, that pattern is a biblical pattern. It was the pattern of Joseph's life, right? Joseph starts out sold into slavery in the dungeon, and then he's exalted up to the throne room. Why? Because they remained faithful. They maintained their integrity. They walked wisely, right? And they waited patiently for God to deliver them. It's the pattern of the suffering servant 
in the servant songs of Isaiah. The great Psalm 53 and the other servant songs talk about a suffering servant who is humiliated, spat upon, rejected, despised, and mocked. And yet you come to the end of the servant songs and you figure out he's the king, the Messiah that Isaiah has been talking about in Isaiah 9, in Isaiah 11, and all throughout. And then, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, the better son of David. Philippians 2, who humbled himself to the point of death, not just death, but a cross death, and who was exalted because he was obedient unto death, exalted with a name above every name, the Lord, the I am God. So this pattern is what book one introduces us to. So let's see this. Uh, Number three, or third thing, is lots of lament. Uh, Because this begins with humiliation before his exaltation, there's a lot of laments. In fact, there are 20 total, more than any of the other five books. So if you want to know, David, what was your life like? Well, there was a lot of lament in it. What is your life like? Look at your neighbor and say, there's a lot of lament in it. That this is reality. This is biblical living. There's no prosperity gospel here. It is hard. Life is hard in a fallen world. And then God will exalt those with their integrity. So here's what's amazing. You got this amazing intro, Psalm 1 and 2. Really exciting stuff, right? And then all of a sudden, Psalm 3 starts off with a lament. So if you turn your Bibles, I forgot to do my spiel. If you have your Bibles, uh, and I hope you do, please turn to Psalm 3. Psalm 3. Because we're just going to be moving through the book of Psalms. And so... I want you to see that you have one and two. Oh, great introduction. This is going to be fun. We're going to praise the Lord. Psalm 3 is a lament. And what's it a lament? It's a lament by David about how his own son, Absalom, is rebelling against David's kingship. So immediately you see this contrast where Psalm 2 says, kiss the son. Uh, worship, submit to the Davidic king. And then, boom, Psalm 3, his own son rebels against him. All right? And so we're meant to see that. But listen, it, uh, and, 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 and in fact, Psalms 3 through 14 form a section in this book one. And in this section, there are eight of these 12 Psalms, 3 through 14, are laments, more than half are laments to start off with. So you're like, hey, I thought we were praising the Lord. No, we're lamenting. We're lamenting before the Lord. David, throughout this section, is fleeing from Absalom, his own son, in Psalm 3, fleeing from Saul and his henchmen in Psalm 7. But just when you think all is lost, there's occasional psalm in this section of trust, Psalm 4, it's beautiful, Psalm 3, my own son's rebelling against me. Psalm 4, I'm going to trust the Lord anyway. And then there's praise in Psalms 8 through 9. Terrific praise. Psalm 8 is a great praise psalm. And then Psalm 14, David ends this section with a praise and a lament over the foolishness of folly, the, the folly of being a fool. And so he like ends this section saying, I've been running from fools, fools that are not wise enough to submit to the son, submit to the king. But I praise God that in midst of being persecuted and chased and fleeing from fools, that you are my God. You are my God and I will trust you and your wisdom. Now, what is the heart of book one? Each of these books kind of have some key songs that explain what the book is about or the focus of the book. And so in in book one, Psalms 15 through 24, follow this pattern of humiliation, then exaltation, of suffering and then glory and sovereignty. And so I gave you a little structural outline. These are the heart, 15 through 24. Now notice Psalm 15 and 24 
form the bookend of this section of this little heart of the book one with a call to integrity in Psalm 15 and <coughs> excuse me, a call to sincerity in worship in Psalm 24. So turn to Psalm 15 so that you can see this. So in Psalm 15, there's a call to walk with integrity. Look at verses 1 and 2. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. Now turn to Psalm 24. Look at Psalm 24, and this is the end of this little section. And look at verses 3 and 4. Psalm 24. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, and who has not lifted his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully, and he goes on. And he says, he he is blessed. So there's this bracketing of a call to walk with integrity, to worship in sincerity. But in between, you have the story in Psalm 16 through 18 of the historical David, whose life is one of humiliation and then exaltation. So look at Psalm 16 through 18. In Psalm 16, it's a song of trust. I'm going to trust you, Lord. In Psalm 17, it's another lament. I'm going to trust you, Lord, but then trouble comes, and I'm still going to trust you. And then Psalm 18 is his exaltation, and it's a victory psalm. So in miniature, in verses in, in Psalm 16 through 18, you have the historical David. I'm going to trust you. Boom, trouble comes, but I'm still going to trust you. And then, woo, victory in the Lord. Then at the center of this section is Psalm 19, that beautiful psalm that glorifies and seeks, sees the glory of God in general revelation and then explores the beauty of special revelation of the Word of God. And the point is this, you're not going to make it through times of trouble unless you trust in the Word of the Creator who has revealed himself in his word. Then it pivots. It pivots to Psalms 20 through 23. And now we're going to see it shifts from David back in history to the eschatological David. You say, oh, that's a scary word. It is a scary word. It just means end times. Eschatological, eschatology, future things. And now it shifts the focus of these psalms fish the switch from the David we know back in history to the better David who is coming in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, David doesn't know his name's going to be Jesus, but he's looking forward. Now, here's what's beautiful. Let me walk you. Look at Psalm 20. Turn to Psalm 20. Let me walk you through these. In Psalm 20, it's a royal psalm. Where the, Lord, where the people ask the Lord to grant the king the desires of his heart. Look at 20, 4 through 5. May you grant, your, grant you, may he, the Lord, grant you, the Davidic king, your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your prayers. Jesus prayed a lot. Here's a prayer that his prayers would be answered. But look at then Psalm 21. Psalm 21 tied together tells us that those prayers were answered. Look at 21, 1 through 2. O Lord, in your strength, the, the king will be glad And in your salvation, how greatly he will rejoice. You have given him his heart's desires. And you have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. Pause on that. What was prayed for in Psalm 21 is is answered in Psalm 21. Wow, things are going good. The king is going to be victorious. Boom. Psalm 22. 
the victory is not going to come without suffering. In Psalm 22, we have another lament. And in Psalm 22, what is that lament? It's one of the most famous. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the king, the future king, his desires are going to be granted, but it's not going to come without suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then we come to Psalm 23. Anybody know what Psalm 23 is? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside green pastures. He's saying, look, no matter how bad it gets, even when you think God has forsaken you, trust the Lord because he's your shepherd. See, these Psalms are tied together. Do you see that? And then when you get to Psalm 23, you come back to Psalm 24 And that's why we worship with sincerity, because we have this kind of God who will get you through the lowest of valleys, even the valley of death. Isn't that beautiful? That's the story of David's life. That's the story of our lives. And we can make it through it because that's the story of Jesus who suffered and was exalted as the sinless son of David. That's the heart of this book. You see, David wasn't always sincere in his worship. David didn't always walk in integrity. And neither do you. And neither do I. And therefore, we put our trust in the coming king that we now know is Jesus Christ. What's the rest of book one? The rest of book one is Psalms 25 through 41. And this is, these psalms are fun because nearly every kind of psalm in the book of Psalms is in this section. What's life going to be like? You're going to need to trust. Sometimes you're going to want God to judge his enemies. Sometimes you're going to lament. Sometimes you're going to be a time of thanksgiving. Sometimes it's going to be confession of sin. Sometimes you're going to need wisdom. Sometimes you're just going to need to remember on the things of the Lord. Sometimes... It's prayer. All of that concludes book one because that was what David's life was like. Now, the last psalm in this book, book one, is a psalm that could be summed up this way. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Psalm 41 concludes with David realizing, Lord, I never could have made it through if it wasn't for your mercy. You know, when you study the life of David... He was a very merciful man. He was merciful to his enemies. He didn't kill Saul in the cave. He was merciful as a king. He didn't exact revenge on Saul's family and on Saul because he was a man who had received mercy in his great sin. And so Psalm 41 tells us we can't make it through this alone. We've got to be like David We need the mercy of the Lord, and then we need to show it to others. Now, Psalm 41 does not end with a royal psalm. Typically, book 2, book 3 ends with a royal psalm. The reason it doesn't end with one, because it's tied to book 2. So let's look at book 2. Book 2, 42 through 72, is about the perseverance of the historical David. So we saw his pattern... Now we're going to see how he needs to persevere. And not only him, but his descendants. And we're going to see they didn't do too good. In book two, there's 31 songs. 58% are written by David. Second only to book one. So book one and two, you get nearly all the songs of David. But not quite, but a lot. What's the focus of book two? It shifts from David's exaltation to David's sons and their increasing decline due to sin. So you get this David in book one who suffers, but then he's exalted. Now in book two, we start looking at the sons of David and we see they are increasingly declining due to sin. They failed to walk wisely and they failed to wait patiently And they failed to daily worship. So let's look at the focus. The focus shifts. 
Oh, I'm sorry, we just did it. That's, they, they fail to walk with it. So think about those, the heart of book one. Walk with integrity, worship with sincerity. That's the two things these guys, David's sons, began to fail to do as they sat on the throne of David. So in Psalm, uh, the third thing you want to see in this book, there's lots of suffering and wondering and fleeing and separation. There's a lot of that. And we see this in the opening two Psalms. So turn your Bibles to Psalm 42. Move to 42 and 43. And let's see how these are connected. Um, They set the tone for book two. So these two Psalms really set the tone. And they belong together. And their focus is on thirsting and longing. Because God is beginning to discipline the sons of David. So let's look at Psalm 42 and 43. Notice Psalm 42. Let's look verses 1 through 4. Famous psalm to kick off this book. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before you? See, there's a, a, there's a separation My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. He's like, man, I remember when we worshiped with God's people. And now I'm separated, there's distance, I'm thirsty, I'm longing. And then look at verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. He's saying, look, God may seem far, but he's close to me. And I'm going to hope in him. Soul, don't you Don't you go down into that pit of despair. Don't you get lost in that depression. You hope in your God. So no matter how far and lonely and separated you may be, he is present with you. He ends the psalm with that in verse 11. Look at that. He says the exact same thing in verse 11. But notice in verse 43, the same words are repeated to start 43. But now the idea is added, vindicate me, O God. So I'm being mocked for my relationship with you. There's a distance that I'm feeling and people can see it and they're taking advantage of me. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my case against the ungodly. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go mourning because of the impression, oppression of the enemy and you drop down to verse five and it ends why are you in despair O my soul and why are you disturbed within me hope in god for i shall again praise him the help of my countenance and my god wow you see this is the tone lament together they set the tone of thirsting longing and lamenting so then what happens you come to psalm 44 look at psalm 44 It's a national lament. And in Psalm 44, what's happening is Israel is losing a battle, even though they've been faithful to the Lord. So it's kind of those, it's that tension that comes in our lives. Wait a minute, Lord, I'm living for you. Why did my car break down today? You know, hey, wait a minute, Lord, I'm living for you, but things aren't going right. Well, the Lord is being gracious because he's trying to remind them and us, don't just trust me. On the mountaintop, trust me in the valleys, and I know where you, uh, you guys are headed. You're going to start losing battles because you are sinning against me. Trust me. Trust me all the time, every way, every day. Now, the bottom, and then you come to Psalm 45. And what happens in Psalm 45? Well, it's a royal psalm. Of a wedding of a Davidic king. And the point is this. Hey, things may be looking bad, but we're going to always have a Davidic heir sitting on the throne. 
And so you have this wedding psalm of saying, hey, there's a hope for the future. Here's the bottom line. When you look at these psalms together, folks, struggles are real, right? Suffering will come, but the king will be victorious with his bride in the end. That's how those psalms tie together. You could summarize the big story of the Bible. The prince kills the dragon and gets the girl. And that's what he's trying to tell us there. That's what he's trying to tell us. Now, what's the heart of the book? We have it right up here. The heart of the book is Psalm 49 and 51. Because Israel and its kings, Davidic kings, are beginning to drift from the Lord due to sin, these psalms tell us the key to restoring, to stopping that decline. Follow the way of wisdom. Don't be a fool. Restore pure worship, which calls for a pure heart, which means seek forgiveness for sins. And you have David's mighty prayer and confession of sin. Hey, if you just took that and put it on your mirror each day and thought about that, it would keep you out of sin. And it would cleanse you from the sin that we have already committed. That's the heart of book two. But what's the rest of the book like? The rest of the book climaxes with a royal psalm by King Solomon. So we'll, I want to focus on that. It ends with Psalm 72, and it's written by Solomon. So you got the two books, beginning with Psalm 3, a lament by David over a son in rebellion. And it ends with Psalm 72 with his other son, Solomon, rising to the throne and claiming the promises of both the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants. And so, 72, so turn to Psalm 72. And it's a real pivot into the next book. Because here's the, here, here's the key. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, because of time, we will, let's turn to the end of uh, Psalm 72. And let's just look at verses 17, 18, 19, and 20. Here's how book two ends. It's the end of the first two books. Notice what Psalm 72, 17 says. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. And let men bless themselves by him. All the nations call him blessed. Looking to the Lord, but also looking to the Davidic king. Verse 18. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. So we come to that closing blessed. There's that closing blessed. But notice what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, bless the nations. He's claiming the promises of the Abrahamic covenant that in you, the seed of Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. But he's praying in Psalm 72 all about the Davidic covenant. It's the seed of Abraham through the seed of Judah, through the seed of David, and that's the hope for the nations. Are you, are you with me? I know we're doing theology today, okay? Because theology is life. But we're doing theology today. It ends. Our God is a promise keeper. See, Solomon has learned at the feet of his father and through his own sin that my only hope is a promise keeping God who will keep his promises to Abraham keep his promises to David, and he points the nation as it heads into decline. This is our hope. It's the mercy of God, and it's the promises of God. So you got to know them. And that's why I'm teaching you this. Shame on me if I don't teach you the God's program and the promises of God. Are you with me? And shame on you if you don't learn it. Because together we need to know this. All right? A little justification for my crazy lesson today. Now, notice 
the doxology is there, but look how verse 20 ends. Woe, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. He's tying these two books together and he's telling us that what you've read in just the first 72 Psalms is you have been listening in on the prayer life of David. The Psalms are David's prayers put to song. And basically, that is an explanation of the entire book of Psalms. But he's saying this found, basically, verse 20, you could say, the foundation has been laid by prayer. King David, King Solomon, suffering in humiliation, exaltation to glory and reigning as king due to integrity of heart and sincerity of worship. Listen, here's when you tie this together. It's as though in book two, the king is saying to us, take up your cross and follow me because the cross always goes before the crown. In other words, you don't get to the throne without bearing the cross. And you and I are not going to get to glory without bearing the suffering that the Lord lays upon us and allows to enter our lives. Well, unfortunately, the sons of David and Solomon did not listen. Didn't listen to their daddies, and they didn't listen to their heavenly father. So book three, we enter in Psalm 73 through 89. The pressure on the historical David king, Davidic kings. The pressure. And I chose that. For two reasons. One, it starts with P. Two, tribulation means pressure. That's what tribulation, it's pressure. The hand of the Lord becomes heavy upon the Davidic kings and upon the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah because of their sin. And they enter in to great tribulation that results in captivity and exile, an exile that the nation is still in. An exile that will culminate in the great tribulation before the coming of the Davidic king in the end times. There is great pressure on the historical Davidic kings. In this book, there's only 31 songs with only 6% of written by David. Actually, I think I have that wrong. I think that should be 17 songs. It should be 17. I'm sorry. So it's, oh, here I have it. Uh, your notes are better than mine. We're in trouble, okay? <laughs> 17 songs with 6%. You know what that comes out to? And I'm not big on math, but I checked it several times, Jerry. It means one. There's one Psalm of David. So you come from this boatload of Davidic Psalms, and now you're in the pits, and the, God's pressure is upon them. One Psalm of David. I would think that might be an important one for us to check out. So let's see. Um, it's the fewest of the five books. Mostly they're songs by Asaph. So what's the focus? Here's the focus. Book three, it's intriguing. It's the lowest point in the Psalms. As the failed Davidic kingdom goes into exile and captivity. These, uh, this book, these Psalms, focus on tribulation and the pressure of God's hand. So... What are, they, what's, what are they filled with? Lots of pain and confusion. And it starts off with Psalm 73. So how did this lowest point start off? Psalm 73, a psalm by Asaph. And, 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 here, and here, here's how it starts. Look at verses 1 through 3. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Ah, he's been reading Psalm 1 to 72. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pains in their death and their body is fat. That means they're well fed and rich. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. And so he's, he's looking at the prosperity. He sees the decline of his people he sees the prosperity of the wicked and he's saying why am i living for integrity you ever been there let's just turn on the news the constant refrain 
I cannot watch this, Gwen. I cannot watch this. Because it troubles your soul. Why am I doing this? You're doing it for the Lord and not what you get out of it. You're doing, your reward is the cross before the crown. So, it's the problem of evil and how the wicked seem to prosper and why should I live with integrity? Uh, 12 through 14. Uh, I, I, just, I can't read. Just, it, it, just read the psalm. Then you come to Psalm 74. And what's Psalm 74 about? It's a lament over God's rejection of his people. Things are going to hell in a handbasket. The wicked are prospering. The nation has been rejected. Oh, I'm lamenting. Psalm 75. Then bursts into a communal thanksgiving for the God who will judge all the earth. So basically the answer to when the wicked prosper is the godly need to get together and praise God like we're doing here and saying someday he's going to judge the earth. There is a greater judge. There is justice. We're not dependent on the White House. We're not dependent on the Supreme Court. We're not dependent on this nation. We're not dependent on politics. We're not dependent on being religious. We have a God, a living God, who will judge the nations. And then you come to Psalm 78, and it's a warning to the nation. Don't get cocky. Don't be unfaithful to this faithful God. And then there are several in this section, imprecatory psalms, praying God's judgment on the ungodly. And then you come to Psalm 85, and there's a prayer of restoration for the nation. They finally have come to their knees, and they're saying, God, we've made a mess of this. Get us out of this mess. We need you. So what is the heart of book three? What is the heart of book three? I would say it's two things. It's Psalm 86 which is the only Davidic psalm in this book. And here's what David says in, in, in verse 2 of Psalm 86. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O oh, you God, save your servant who trusts in you. It's the answer to Psalm 73. David, the one psalm in this, David tells you, listen, you cry out to God to preserve your integrity. You cry out to God. God, help me to maintain integrity in this wicked world. And then you come to Psalms 88, which is the saddest psalm and the lowest point. And look how Psalm 88 ends. This is the, as far as I can see, this is the only lament in the whole psalms, which has more laments than any other kind of psalm. This is the only lament that does not end with a note of trust or hope. Look at Psalm 78, verse 18, or Psalm 88, verse 18. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. How does this thing end? Isolation, separation, darkness. What do you do in darkness? You turn to the promises of God, and that brings us right into Psalm 89, the climactic end of this book. And in Psalm 89, we have the, a royal psalm on the Davidic covenant. In other words, the point is this, Psalm 89, when you're in the pits of despair, you turn back to God's promises. And he turns, he turns our attention to the Davidic promises. And understand this, when all hell is breaking loose in your life, God's promises hold fast. Are you with me? All right. That brings us to book four, and we got to move. Book four, 89 to 106. Here's the focus. The focus is on the person of the eternal king. The person of the eternal king. I'm sorry, the power of the eternal king. And why is that? Because here's the thing. 
by the time you get to Psalm 90, 106, you realize there ain't no man on this planet that is going to be able to fulfill these promises. It's no Davidic king. It's, there, there is not a human Davidic king. It's going to have to be the eternal king of God. If this is going to get done, the eternal king. Now, you know what the beauty of this is? It's got to happen through a seed of David. So what does that going to mean? There's got to be an incarnation. The eternal king is going to have to be born in the womb as the seed of David. That's what these psalms are telling us. There's 17, 12% are written by David. That means only two. The focus is the sovereign rule of the eternal God who will restore the kingdom of David. There are lots of hope in growing praise. And you know what's ironic? This book begins with Psalm 90. Hey, if your nation is about to be snuffed out by the justice of God, who do you want to intercede for you? Moses, because he interceded twice and asked God not to destroy the nation. What does Psalm 90 begin with? Psalm of Moses. Why? Because that's how bad the nation is off. It's about to be exterminated. It's in exile. How will it ever come back? And so there's lots of hope and growing praise. And the heart of book four is called the enthronement psalms, which say, go on to that, says, our God reigns. That's the theme. That's the theme of book four. Our God reigns. And you start this growing hallelujah chorus begins to build. It begins to build. And that takes us right into book five. And book five is all about praise to the future Davidic king and his eternal father. Because they are the ones who are going to get it done. Amen? Isn't that good? And all of a sudden you just have 44 songs. And guess how many are written by David? 34%. Why? Because it's pointing to the future, the better David. The focus here is praise for the glorious fulfillment by the better David and his eternal kingdom. And if we had time, I would take you through. At the end of Psalm 106, there's a prayer. Gather us, regather us, save us. And then Psalm 107 burst on with verse, first three verses. He has saved us. He has redeemed us. He has gathered us. And that tells us that this whole book is about the final restoration. And so the heart of book five is this. Randy's favorite psalm, Psalm 119. Longest chapter in the Bible. Why? Because, folks, when God fulfills his purposes, it's done according to his word. And those who get in on the goodness of God's purposes in the end are those who are in this book, love this book, memorize this book, study this book, taught this book. Their life is the word of God and they long for the written word in the living word. Well, how can you not just say hallelujah to the end of that? And so when we come back after the holiday, we're going to get into the hallelujah chorus. You're going to say, why should I be excited about that? We'll go back and listen to these two lessons. Okay? Now, the application there is very clear. Your faith, I know it's a lot, I get it, but if you'll go back and you think through this, your faith is going to be reinforced. It will restore your faith, it will refocus your faith, and it will remind you that the Bible is a progressive revelation. You'll find nothing in the book of Psalms about the church. You're not going to find anything about the two comings of Christ. It's all seeming like it's just going to come and it's going to happen all at once. And that's why the Jewish people were caught off guard. 
But the secret was there all the time. Suffering before exaltation. You don't look like much of a king. No, I'm a suffering servant. And I'm walking in sinless integrity. And my heart is pure. And I can offer myself as the sinless sacrifice, the satisfying atonement, because I am that better David. Amen. And I have gone to the lowest point as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I have been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And I am that King of David. He is our eternal hallelujah. And let's learn about him in the weeks to come. Amen. Father, I come and I just thank you for the grace that I need to teach something like this. Because I'm not smart enough, good enough. I'm just not able to articulate the glories except by your spirit and by sticking close to your word. So I pray, Lord, that this overview of the book of Psalms will break our hearts and loosen our tongues and cleanse our hearts so that we will praise you with that eternal hallelujah. And we'll see that salvation is not about me. It's about you. It's about you and your purposes for the nations. And we get to be a part of that. So, Father, I pray if anyone's questioning where they are or anyone has wandered and they're thirsting, may they come and humbly submit before your son for salvation. But more than that, for a future in your kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.